Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his newsmaking interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Thursday, podcast1.com, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Thank you for subscribing and listening every week and checking out the podcast. And it's great to be here with you on this Thursday. If you're listening on post day, the 28th of November 2019 is the day that this podcast posts. And it is significant for those of us in the U.S. because today is Thanksgiving. So to all of my American audience, a very healthy, happy Thanksgiving Thursday to each and every one of you. A big uh, extended weekend for many. So in America, big four-day weekend. Just about everybody gets the Friday off after Thanksgiving. Not everybody, but a lot of people do as part of the holiday weekend. So it's a nice long weekend. Uh, it's just such a great holiday. And uh hope everybody has a chance to spend it with family and friends and enjoy whatever it is that you are doing if you are indeed in America and celebrating a Thanksgiving weekend. I often think about this time of year because although it is a joyous, wonderful four-day weekend for many, if you work in the retail sector, it's anything but. (laughs) And I know that because for years I worked in a record store, and for years I was traumatized with the prospect of having to go to work on the Friday after Thanksgiving, universally known as Black Friday, and deal with the insane amount of people and customers that converge on stores and malls on that Friday. Um, To say it left trauma, (laughs) I think I have PTSD from, uh, you know, the, the Black Fridays I worked. So, just a word of advice to people who do go out shopping on that day. And God bless you if you do. I don't know how you do it. But if you do, go easy on the people working. Don't get caught up in the mania. Don't buy into the door buster verbiage that's thrown around. I, I don't know. Call me crazy. The prospect of busting through doors and f- fighting people in doorbuster sales, it never quite appealed to me on how to spend a, a holiday weekend. But hey, whatever you're into, take it slow, take it easy on those folks that do need to work. Some of them having to wake up at an ungodly early hour 
to be there to deal with the volume of customers on that Friday. I will be nowhere near malls <laughs> over the holiday weekend. But whatever it is you do, have fun. And hey, if you want to watch some cool TV, you might want to check out Pluto TV. They are the leading free streaming television service. And who doesn't love to stream free stuff? You can watch over 100 TV channels, thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV, they never ask for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch for free. That's because Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and your hit movies for free. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. So what we have for you today is another great interview that comes courtesy of, like all of my interviews, just about every one, my daily show on Sirius XM Radio, Trunk Nation, which you can hear each and every day, Monday through Friday, live on volume, channel 106, between 2 and 4 p.m. Eastern time, and replaying every night, 10 to midnight Eastern, and anytime you want on demand on the SiriusXM app, where there is also a bunch of video of the interviews that you hear on my SiriusXM show, and a few that you hear right here on this podcast. The way it works, folks, is I'm on every day on SiriusXM talking rock with you and doing interviews, and I cherry-pick one or two and post them for you here on the podcast. But if you're only listening to the podcast, you're getting a tiny, tiny sample of what I'm doing on a daily basis on SiriusXM. So that being said, if you're in the U.S. and Canada, please join me and become a subscriber. As a matter of fact, you can hear Trunk Nation on SiriusXM right now if you're in the U.S. and Canada totally free, even if you aren't a subscriber, because they're in a free listening period until, I think, December 1st. So if you have an inactive radio or if you'd like to go to the app or SiriusXM.com, everything is wide open and free for you to listen. So you can actually sample for free my daily show on SiriusXM 106. Now keep in mind, it is a holiday, so some of the programming might be a little bit different. But starting on Monday, I will be back live starting at 2 p.m. Eastern time, and there's still the usual programming and the usual slots. So be sure to check it out. Great opportunity to sample it for free if you're in the U.S. or Canada right now. Free listening period is happening. Uh, I am getting ready, and I want to thank, I heard from a few folks, I'm, get, I'm going to Switzerland, folks. I'm going to Zurich uh, actually next week, and it's a pretty long story. I think I touched on it on this show at, in the last couple of weeks, but... I was supposed to be going to Switzerland for a surprise party for Billy Gibbons that was canceled. They were nice enough to invite me to this huge bash. And then the party, for reasons completely un, uh, not fully known, was canceled. So I had the plane tickets and figured, what the hell? So I'm going with my family. Never been there before. Ironically, the one band I know from Switzerland, Crocus, is actually playing in Zurich when I'm there. Although I don't know if I'll be breaking free from family obligations to go to Crocus, but hey, you never know. 
So that should be quite an experience, and I'll tell you about it when I do a podcast uh, when I get back. I'm going to have to front load a couple, but I'm only going for like four or five days. I have very little experience going to Europe. I've been to England four or five times in my life. Outside of that, though, nothing. Never to France, Germany, Italy, certainly Switzerland, none of it. So this will be a fun experience and a rare trip that I get to take with the family. So looking forward to that. Some stuff coming up before we get to our interview. December 14th, well, a few things. This I can announce right now. So you know I do these monthly broadcasts from the rainbow on the SiriusXM show. We call it the Trunk Nation LA Invasion. The next one's going to be a little different. It will happen at the rainbow. It will be free and open to the public. It will be live 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific as usual, and it will be broadcast live on SiriusXM volume. However... This time around, because it's December, we want to do a Christmas party. So I want this one to be a lot more loose, a lot more fun, maybe put some of the audience on the air, have a variety of different guests just dropping by and dropping in, have some prizes, maybe even have a Santa giving away some CDs. It's going to be a really fun, festive event. I hope you come and join me for it if you're in Southern California. It'll take place on December 12th. That's a Thursday night from the Rainbow in L.A. on the patio. The first ever Trunk Nation Christmas party, folks. Broadcast live on volume across America and Canada, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific. Everybody can listen to whatever mayhem ensues. And if you're in L.A., mark the date. Come down. No admission, no ticket, no list. Just come join us December 12th at the Rainbow the next Trunk Nation LA Invasion, and this time around, it is an, an our, our first of what I hope will be a great Christmas party event for December, our final broadcast for 2019 from the Rainbow Bar and Grill. December 12th is the date. December 14th, I am in Erlanger, Kentucky, which I'm told is just outside of Cincinnati, and I'll be there at Peacock's doing a speaking show. Again, December 14th and December 20th. Checking my own calendar right now just to make sure that I've given you the right dates. Yes, I am. December 14th, Erlanger, Kentucky, which is basically Cincinnati at Peacocks for a speaking Q&A show. The final appearance for the year, December 20th, Clifton, New Jersey, the annual That Metal Show Christmas Party at Dingbats. Great time, music, hang, drinks, fun. Come join us December 20th. You know it, you love it. If you're in the Jersey, New York area, December 20th, Dingbats, Don, Jim, myself, the annual TMS Christmas Bash. All right, there's your rundown. Everything is on eddytrunk.com. Please follow on Twitter at eddytrunk and Instagram at eddytrunk as well. The interview I have for you on this Thanksgiving Thursday is an incredibly moving and powerful interview that I was uh, very happy to be able to do. This interview took place a little less than two weeks ago from the Sirius XM studios in LA when I was out there for the last LA invasion, and it is with Quiet Riot drummer Frankie Benali. If you know Frankie's story, you know already why I'm saying it is moving and powerful. 
Frankie Benali announced a few weeks ago that he has been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. I reached out to Frankie when I knew I was going to be in L.A., asked him if he'd be open to coming on the radio show and talking about what he's going through. Remarkably, he is still playing shows. He has a great spirit about him, a great drive and a determination to beat this. And I am hoping and praying that he truly does. I've known Frankie Benali for a very long time. Uh, A great guy, always a very warm, nice guy. We've had some great times over the years. I hope for many more to come. Frankie came in and did this interview directly from getting his latest chemo. As a matter of fact, he was getting chemo at the time of the interview, as you're about to hear, through a pack that was on his belt. This is uh, about as serious as cancer gets, what Frankie is dealing with, and the way he is handling it is truly, truly incredible. And you will hear the whole story and hear some stuff about music and his prognosis and how he's bringing the two together, where he's still very much playing and performing while still getting these treatments. So uh, with nothing but the best of thoughts and prayers out to Frankie, as he is in a tremendous battle here, but handling it brilliantly. And let's hope for a great outcome for him. So I am very, very honored and pleased to be able to bring you this interview with Frankie Benali talking about all of he, of what he is dealing with on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast coming up. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, really pumped to be welcoming Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson to the Podcast One family. Listen as Mike Tyson, the baddest man on the planet, pours his soul into conversations with fascinating minds, celebrities, and athletes, along with his cosmic millennial sidekick and former NFLer Eben Britton. Kid Dynamite dives deep into the issues impacting us all today. This podcast will change the way you see the world. Don't miss Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And without further ado, let's get to our interview this week. It is with Quiet Riot drummer Frankie Benali talking about his recent diagnosis of pancreatic cancer as well as some music stuff. And he even brought me some Kit Kats from Japan. Enjoy Frankie Benali on this week's podcast. It is wonderful to see you, my friend. Frankie Benali, how are you? Always great to see you, my brother. You too, man. I said, did the rain mess you up a little bit? But you're like, nah, the rain was fine. I like the rain. It's like being in Long Island. (laughs) (laughs) How many years you lived in L.A. now? Um, I came out, the first time I came out was in 72. Uh, Didn't get anything, uh, actually 75, and uh, didn't get much accomplished. Went back east, regrouped, and then came back out again. Um, But I've been here... Mostly since 1975. What brought you here in 72? Just chasing chasing the dream as a musician? Yeah. I mean, for me, um, in the music business, there was only two places to, to do music, New York or L.A., and the weather was much better in L.A. if you're going to be couch surfing. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you, when you came out in 72, nothing, no connections, no nothing? You just, just let me go out and see what I could find? Yeah, I came out, I came out um, and I packed very light. 
uh, but nothing was going on. When I came in 75, I came with my uh, 1969 Green Ludwig drum set, and I had taken the drum heads off and put all my clothes inside of it, and I had $300 to my name, and I get to LAX, and I'm in the white zone, you know, no no parking, white zone, sitting on my cases trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. And, uh, and a van from SIR uh, passed by and put on the brakes, and the guy backed up, and he gets out, and he goes, Frankie? I said, Greg? And it was a guy that I knew that was now working for SIR, and he goes, what you doing? And I told him. And he goes, all right, well, we'll store your drum set. Sorry, you can sleep on my couch. Wow. And it started from that. What was your fir- first paying gig as a drummer? My first paying gig as a drummer, I was 14 years old. I put a band together called The Pound of Flesh. This is in New York? Yeah, in, uh, in Astoria, uh, Queens. And uh, we played a church social. We made $13 a piece. The first dollar to hit my hand, my right hand, I put in my pocket. And the other $12 I put in the left pocket. And then the next morning, I went to the five and dime, bought a cheap frame, and framed that first dollar. And I still have it sitting in my office in the same shitty frame. Wow. What was your first gig that you landed when you got to L.A.? Because uh, you did, you played on some things that I don't think a lot of people realize. Like you, it's you on Moni Moni, Billy Idol, right? Correct. Yeah, and Baby Talk. Okay, so you're Billy Idol, the, but and and also um, the Hughes Thrall album. Yeah, that's you on a bunch of that too, right? Yeah, but that came later. Uh, my my first the first time I was actually on a tour bus and went out on the road is Robert Fleischman, who had recently left as the vocalist for Germany. Right. Uh, for Journey, had gotten a uh, record deal with Arista. Uh, and he used all studio musicians for the record, but wanted to use, you know, live players. And I came in audition, and uh, and I was out with him uh, for that entire tour, which was uh, basically opening up for Van Halen. Uh, it might have been the Diver Down tour. Oh, wow. So, so that was my first time. And then we came, that was a 79. What was that band called? Uh, um, Robert Fleischman, Perfect Stranger. Wow. Okay. And then, uh, and then I came back to LA, and uh, I went to see Quiet Riot at uh, at the Starwood, and I'm upstairs, you know, and I'm, I'm I've had quite a few drinks in me, and this guy comes up to me and he goes, "Are you Frankie Benali?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "I'm Nick St. Nicholas from Steppenwolf. Call me tomorrow." He gave me a piece of paper with his name and number, and I called him up, and uh, he told me to get, I think it was Live Wolf album and learn it, and I did. And uh, and he called me up for a rehearsal, and and I went up to his house for rehearsal, and we rehearsed. It sounded great, and uh, and he says, "Okay, you leave next week. We're leaving tomorrow." And I said, "Huh?" He goes, "Yeah, we're gonna fire a drummer on the road." Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow, I didn't realize you play. You realize you played in Steppenwolf almost two years. Really? Yeah, seven nine to eighty. Yeah. What were your thoughts? So you went to see Quiet Ride, obviously with Randy and the the original band, right? Early yeah, I'd on. get on the guest list, and everybody bought me drinks, so it was a no it was a no brainer. <laughs> what were you like? What were your thoughts seeing that version of the band? Uh, were you a fan? I imagine. Well, at this point, um, Kelly Garney was already out of the band; he wasn't playing bass anymore, and Rudy Sarzo was playing bass. Now, Rudy and I had met in 1972 uh, because on November 17th, my local garage band a three-piece called ginger opened up for david bowie uh at pirates world for one show on the uh, ziggy stardust tour and unbeknownst to me rudy and his brother robert sarzo were out in the audience now the next day is uh is the 18th november 18th that was rudy's birthday so 
I went to this club called the Flying Machine, and then Rudy went to the club called uh, Flying Machine, and he comes up to me, and the bass player and I look similar, so he thought I was the bass player, and he's going on telling me, you know, how much he loved the drummer, and I just, I was just reeling it all in, and then when he was done, I put my hand on, and I said, uh, by the way, I'm the drummer, Frankie Vanelli, <laughs> and he turned around and walked away. <laughs> That's how we met. One other thing about early history, I always wanted to ask you, Money Money by Billy Idol is to this day like a classic rock staple. It's played everywhere in every nightclub they play in and every everywhere. How did you uh how did it come to be that you cut the drums on that? I received a call. I to this day I don't know how Keith Forsey, um Billy's producer, um got my phone number. I think another producer recommended him to me. Um, because after the fact, he told me, I heard that, that, uh, you're real professional, you learn the material, you cut fast and you leave. And I said, yeah, that's, 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 that's pretty accurate. Um, so I met Billy and we went to the rainbow and had a couple of drinks and, and we're discussing not even music, we're discussing films that, that we both enjoyed. Uh, and the next day went into the studio and it took 45 minutes to get the drum sound. 30 minutes to cut the track and they said it was great can you do some more and I said I have time for one more because I was double booked I was booked uh, to go into the studio with Roy Thomas Baker that evening uh, to cut production demos for J.C. Crowley who used to be in player oh wow 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 was there ever a side of you that there's all these drummers that are unbelievable session guys and they go in and they cut the track and you know sometimes you don't even know they're on the record and or even any musicians i mean it's a guy like steve lucas they're all these guys that are just the pros that go in they do it and they're very comfortable making a great living doing that Mm -hmm. you know the hired guns behind the scenes sort of guys was it sounds like you could have very well went down that road if it hadn't been for joining quiet riot was that of interest to you or were you always a guy that wanted to really be out there on the stage and 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 be recognized well i enjoy both sides of it i i enjoy being in the studio under the microscope because it's it's very unforgiving um but i differ with a lot of studio um drummers whereas uh, a lot of studio drummers will learn the entire thing you know, from top to bottom, and they will play that the same way every time. Um, I will learn the entire song and all the signposts that need to be fixed. But what happens in between those spots, I leave it to spontaneity. Otherwise, it becomes sterile to me. Mm. So it's got to have a feel. It's got to have a pocket. It's got to have a groove. Otherwise, it just becomes mechanical. The other side of the coin is I love I love performing live because what you get back from the audience is what spurs you on, you know, to do your very best. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, so you walk in here, and you give me this. I didn't want to open it until we were on the air, but you give me this very nice Christmas bag here with a bow on it. And I'm going to open this for the first time here. Frankie. Please do. Brum. Now I just realized, and I missed it and I apologize for missing it was, I should be giving you a gift because it was your birthday the other day. That's okay. I've had plenty of gifts in my life. <laughs> so, well, happy belated to you. Thank you. Um, so this is from Japan. Yep. Oh, just what I need. The big chooch I am. You're giving me candy. Yeah, but look at, look at the flavors. Kit Kat. What is it? Kit Kit Kat with Japanese lettering on it. Hold on. What is the flavor? I can't read Uh, it. It's in Japanese. (laughs) Let me see this one. Frankie Ah. gave me a bag of candy. Just what I need, Frankie. I appreciate it, but I'm looking through this. Wait, what is this? Kit Kit Kat. It looks like green tea. Green tea flavored. Yeah. Wow. And uh, this is... 
That might be sake flavored. Sake? Wow. <laughs> or it looks like a like a cantaloupe. Oh, yeah. That, that's the cantaloupe flavored this one. This is peach. Peach, yeah. Well, you got a whole bag? It's like Halloween all over again here, there man. You go. Thank you. These are for me. Those are all yours. Wow, you are you are too kind. These are really cool. Is that a thing in Japan? Like different flavored Kit Kats? Yeah, they're crazy about it. They have their own their own uh, stores and stands, and then they're also in, in department stores. And they do um, certain flavors at a certain time of the year that you can't ever get again. Really? Yeah. My kids will love this too. There I'm going to take go. some of these home because they're all about stuff from other countries. There now you, you were just in Japan. So so let's get into it. So I ran into I was here a couple of weeks ago and I ran into Chuck Wright. Mm-hmm. Right on outside of the whiskey on the sidewalk. And I had reached out to you when the news came out about your illness mm-hmm. and I know you were dealing with a ton of stuff, but your voicemail was full and I had texted you a couple of times. I texted Regine, I said, Please let Frankie know I'm thinking of him, anything I could do. I know how much you were dealing with when you made that announcement. Sure. I ran into Chuck on this on the sidewalk on Sunset, mm-hmm. and the first thing when I saw him, I said, "How's Frankie?" I tried to reach him. I haven't heard from him. I said, "I know he's dealing with a lot, but I'm I'm, I'm concerned." And he said, "Oh, Frankie's going to Japan to play." <laughs> he goes, "We he goes we just played here at the Whiskey a couple nights ago, and he played, yeah. and now he's going to Japan to play with Mister Jimmy doing his Zeppelin show." I go, "Wait a minute." Yeah. The same Frankie that just announced he's ill, you know, seriously ill. He goes, oh, yeah, he's still playing. He's playing great. He played in whiskey. He's going to Japan. He's going to Japan. Yeah. And I, that made me feel really good to know that you were feeling well enough to do all of that. But talk about what you, you just – obviously, you brought me this candy. You just yeah. came from Japan, mm-hmm. and you you did a Zeppelin show there with the guitar player from Jason Bonham's band, right? right? Jimmy Sakurai with his band, uh, Mr. Jimmy. Um, and for the last few years, uh, I go over to Japan once or twice a year and do the Mr. Jimmy shows over there. Um, so the last one we did was the recreation, uh, three and a half hour recreation, the 1977 LA Forum show, top to bottom. And the amazing thing is the X Theater is technologically the most amazing place when it comes to acoustics. So much so that my understanding is Sony Records goes there and plays masters for approval. And uh, and when we were doing sound check, you know, I went out in the audience and various spots and up into the balcony, and it sounded exactly the same in every seat. But the Japanese are so um, so technically perfect in, in what they do that the X Theater has all these amazing state-of-the-art LED lights, mm-hmm. but in 1977, uh, those didn't exist. So they brought in 275 park hands on scaffolds, just like Led Zeppelin did. Oh, wow. And the drum riser moved up to the front of the stage uh, for the drum solo and concussion bombs and everything went off. And uh, so we did that. And now I'm scheduled to go back. Uh, I'm playing a show with Choir Riot in uh, in the St. Louis area on the 27th of November. Then um, I go in for chemo round nine on December 3rd. December 16th, I leave for Tokyo. I return the, 20 se- the 22nd from Tokyo, and I leave the 29th um, for Michigan to play the last show of the year with Quiet Riot. Wow, amazing. Now, we should tell people, when you walked into the studio mm-hmm. just now, you as we speak, you are getting chemo. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I, um, the way the chemo works now is you go into the hospital, as I did yesterday morning, 
Um, and from the time we walked in, checked in, checked out, it was almost six hours. Uh, and, and that's the first step of the chemo. Then as soon as that's done, they take that same chemo formula and they put it in a pump. And so I'm wearing this, you know, this fanny bag, not as a fashion statement. Hey, right, Frankie goes, this isn't a fashion yeah. statement. It's actually doing something. Yeah. But if you can, if you can see here, here are the lines, that yeah. yellow fluid that you see going through the line, yeah. um, goes to a port. That's in my chest here. Mm-hmm. And then this thing that looks like a vein mm-hmm. isn't a vein. That's an actual uh, tube that mm-hmm. goes to an artery in my neck. And then another tube goes to my heart. Um, and so the chemo is constantly being pumped through through my entire body, uh, through through my heart. It's using that as a propulsion. So I am now here doing your interview because I love you on chemo eight day two. Wow. How do you feel? Do, do, you, do you, I mean... I, Everybody, look, cancer has touched, if not anyone directly, there's not a person you can find, a family member, someone close, a loved one or something. I've Mm -hmm. certainly had it in my family and all that. And you hear people have differing feelings about how they feel. You seem really obviously there and you seem like you have a great, that same great energy and spirit Mm -hmm. about you. How do you physically feel right now? Well, after... Previous to this, after doing seven rounds of chemo, the reason we stopped, we stopped at seven about two and a half months ago um, because I had gone down to 135 pounds and my oncologist felt that I was too weak to go on to the next level. Um, And during that period of time, I had two tubes that were inserted into my side because I had some fluid that was leaking from various areas into my abdominal cavity. Uh, that was being caused by the tumor in my pancreas and the tumor in my liver pushing on on different organs. What that meant was that I couldn't eat any solid foods because the the tumor was pushing down and wouldn't allow me to get any food into my stomach. Um, so I went down to 135 pounds. Um, what were what did you weigh? I on April 17th when I was diagnosed, I was uh, I was a um, a very healthy. 1977 John Bonham, 197 pounds. Okay. And went down to 135. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they tried to put a stent valve in, which would have made it possible for me to eat solid foods um, and for it to get into my stomach and the intestines and all of that. Um, And after three tries, they just couldn't do it. And so the doctor, when I came out of anesthesia from surgery, uh, you know, I said, so are we good? And he goes, <clears throat> no, we couldn't get past the blockage. And I said, am I going to have to be wearing this tube in this bag for the rest of my life? And he goes, yeah, it's likely. And I said, no, I, I don't accept that. I'm going to stop treatment because this is a very poor quality of life. And he says, well, hold on. And he left and had a meeting with his, uh, with his surgeons. And he came back and he goes, we're going to try one more thing. And it was literally a Hail Mary play. Um, I had been to the hospital since nine in the morning that day going through through all of this. It's now six o'clock in the afternoon or six o'clock in the evening. They roll me back into surgery. And by 915, when I came out of uh, anesthesia, he says they were able to put the stent in. So in due course, the tube was removed and I've been able to start eating food. And do you have now you you got to get your I mean. Going to Japan is not across the street. Yeah, and you're you got Quiet Riot gigs. You're going back to Japan. You've got a lot. Of, you you have now the energy and the stamina to do that. You have the energy and stamina to to, to play a full show, no problem. Yeah, it hasn't I mean, have impacted your playing or your your wind or anything. And, no, here's here's the strange thing. Like there's there's so many side effects that come along with chemo, and and 
side effects get added on to you um, as you do more chemotherapy and the recovery time is a bit longer each time. The amazing thing is that right now I have no feeling in my fingertips and no feeling in my toes and I sit behind the drums and everything works flawlessly. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know why I don't question it for fear that if I question right, it, right, 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 yeah, but but it's been great. No, you know, I did the whiskey show, which is which is um, the one that I did a week after I went public with uh, right. the disease, and uh, you know, timing was great, energy was great. You played the whole show. Yeah, power was great. No mistakes. All the all the correct things that that you know Chuck and Alex and Jizzy Pearl are used to hearing um, that the sub drummers I got over the summer just didn't get. Uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Well, talk about the decision to go public with this because you. How long had you been known? How long had you known and been dealing with it before? Because I started getting calls to this show that people went to see Quiet Riot mm-hmm. and saying Frankie wasn't there. Right. And I figured, okay, there's a conflict. Or quite honestly, I figured maybe Frankie's trying to pull like the foreigner Mick Jones deal where he just doesn't want to go out to every show and he's going to get somebody else and give them its blessings and whatever. And then, of course, the news came out that you were battling pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. How long had you been dealing with it before going public with it? Over three months. Over three months. Yeah, what happened, I was diagnosed. The the series of events is um, I was going to play a couple of songs with Alex's side project, Hookers and Blow, mm-hmm. um, for the Rainbow Parking Lot gig. Um, and and this was in uh, in April. So I went to my storage unit to get some supplies. And while I was there, all of a sudden my calf was in a ridiculous amount of pain. I couldn't figure it out on my right foot. And I, and I got to drive back home. So I barely made it to drive back home. It was that painful. The first symptom was in your calf, you yeah, said? Yeah, in my calf. So what happened is... Um, you know, my wife, you know, suggested I get in touch with Kaiser. I couldn't get an appointment for a couple of days. <clears throat> and, it's a, a hospital here. Yes. Okay. And the next morning, I got up and I and I walked ten feet, and and I couldn't go any further, and I was out of breath, and I was really weak. So um, Regina, and rightfully so, insisted that I go to emergency. So I went to emergency, um, and they did an ultrasound of my right calf, and they did a scan of my upper. And, uh, and what it showed was that I had a blood clot in my right calf, blood clot, blood clot in my left lung, right lung, and in the saddle in between the two lungs. The concern was is if they dislodge, they only take two routes, one to your brain, aneurysm, end of story, the other one to your heart, heart attack, end of story. A byproduct of the scan caught a little bit of my liver, and they saw something that didn't look right. So now this is 3.30 in the morning. I'm still at ER, um, and and they wheel me back into the scan. They scan the lower, uh, and about an hour later, about four thirty in the morning, the um, the floor surgeon or the floor doctor in emergency comes in, and unceremoniously says, uh, "You have stage four pancreatic cancer that is metastasized to your liver, uh, and I really like your music." And he signed off on the paperwork and walked out. Oh my God! Talk about bedside manner, huh? Yeah, that's how I found out. So my my first concern was, you know, how do I call? I don't want to wake. I had sent Regina home about one thirty in the morning because she had been with me all day. Uh, so my first concern is, how do I tell my wife? My second concern is, how do I take care of Quiet Riot? So I decided not to go public at that point because 
I don't want to, at that point, all I knew is that I had, you know, what they consider terminal cancer. Uh, and they gave me six months, which initially meant that the middle of October, I would probably have died. So I didn't want to go public. As in a month ago. Yeah. So I didn't want to go public with just bad news. So my first consideration was, okay, well, let's see where this goes, because I'm refusing to accept that I'm going to be dying in, in you know, six months, even though I started, you know, making arrangements just in the event, because you don't know, but I, I refuse to accept it. Uh, my second consideration is, uh, and this is now April, I actually, after I was diagnosed, I flew to Florida and did a festival day with Quiet Riot, you know, against my doctor's orders because of flying and the altitude and the blood clots. And then in May, I did um, the M3 festival on May 5th. Uh, but after that, it just became impossible to travel. So now we're going into the summer months and, you know, Quiet Riot had a full calendar. So I'm thinking to myself, okay. I can't go, but how do I take care of my guys? You know, they all have expenses, they have families and work. everything. Right. So I got in touch with my agent, Mark Hyman at ATI, and, uh, and you know, we discussed um, having the band go out with substitute drummers. Um, there were um, some promoters that, you know, were concerned that I had to talk off the ledge. We only lost two shows <clears throat> with the- Were those promoters aware of why? Or did you just say you couldn't play the date? No, initially they 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 were not aware of why because no matter how much you say you know this is private information right. you know it's gonna be it's, it's the internet it's gonna be out there, um, but by and large we we're able to talk the rest of them off the ledge. Um, there was one promoter that that's a, a a longtime friend for about thirty years that he's the one that put on the. Um, the heavy Montreal festival mm -hmm. and, and I was straight up front, you know, with him. And the reason why I ask that question mm -hmm. is because if you're a promoter and you're told Frankie Benali can't play just, well, he just doesn't want to show up or right. because he's battling cancer. Right. I, I think I would think there'd be a different uh, approach, you know, different. Oh, let's try to help out here. Let's take mm -hmm. the date. Frankie, get better. Send us who your sub is. Let's go. Sure. Versus, you know, if the, if somebody says, ah, you know, because because you know, there's a lot of that out there now with a lot yeah. of bands that just it's just guys not showing up or they don't want to do it. They want to stay home and just run it. And there's a lot of that. So that's definitely be a different, I think, uh, read on it if mm -hmm. you knew what was going on. But I also understand you not wanting to, because well, you're right. No matter who, it's going to get out there. Yeah, I mean, it would have been playing the and rightfully so the sympathy card. But the problem is that let's say promoter so-and-so gets off the phone and happens to say to his assistant, I mean, I can't believe this. You know, I just found out Frankie Minnelli has, you know, yeah. a really bad cancer. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Yeah. On the internet. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to avoid that. Um, but, you know, by and large, there were no issues. Um, but I'm I'm ready to go back out on the road again with Quiet Ride, and I've made that very publicly and very clear, and we already have a number of dates uh, for Quiet Ride for 2020 on the books. Well, let's talk about some of that. Uh, uh, more to talk about with Frankie Benali. Let's take a break right now. Frankie is here, and it's it's great to see him, and he brought me this nice bag of candy, which I'm, <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to try. Have, uh, do you have a favorite of these? Have you had some of these? Yeah, I, I, like, I like the green tea one a lot. Um, the melon one is good. I mean, there are no bad flavors when it comes to when it comes to Japanese Kit Kats. I mean, they're they're very precise about everything they do. Are there any bad flavors when it comes to any candy? Anything bad for you, Frankie? Really? No. <laughs> Not at all. It's I'm good gonna, for the soul. Uh, I'm going to try one of these things during the break. I don't know what flavor this is, but we're, I'm going to have one. Got to take a break. We'll be right back with more with Frankie Benali on the Eddie Trunk Podcast after this.
This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Let's get back to more of my conversation with Frankie Benali right now on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Well, the Kit Kat was delicious. <laughs> it really was. It was a dark chocolate is the one that I went with first. You know, I, I'm on the road more than I've ever been, Frankie, in the last two, three years. So I'm going to just carry this sack around with me through the airport. There you go. Whenever you need a little snack. Um, Watch out for TSA. They love Kit Kat. <laughs> TSA guy here at LAX sees me so much. Like, you're, like your doctor, he's like, hey, Eddie, I'm a big fan. I could be bringing anything through there. He just wants to talk to me. Hey, let's do a stump the trunk or whatever. He's like, well, aren't you supposed to be checking my bag, dude? This is when you know, this is when you know you've been to, to the Kaiser Hospital. Too many times. In every hallway, I run into somebody that's either wheeled me into a room, wheeled me out from a room, or did a procedure on me. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Every oh, day. 10, 20 people. Wow. Yeah. What's the, what's the prognosis? What are the doctors telling you? How are you tolerating this chemo? I want to talk to you about other things. Sure. People have questions about what you're going through, but also about just music and Quiet Riot. So with the time, have I don't, I don't want to just... I'm sure you, you don't want to pound away on this mm -hmm. but at the same token i think it's wonderful that you're talking about it that you've been public about it um you, you've been on online talking about yeah. it because in a lot of ways i would think if there's people out there dealing with what that are fans and mm -hmm. dealing with what you're dealing with in a way it's 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 really inspirational to see what you're able to do still and you're your spirit and attitude about going after this. I think that it's, I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. You're public about it. Well, I think it's important for people to understand that. Um, first of all, if, if they have any inclination whatsoever that the cancers in their family, um, they should really have themselves checked out because I have done physicals with my doctor religiously for 20, 30 years and nothing ever showed up. And I did my last physical in February of this year and no issues. And here comes April and I've got uh, stage four. It starts with stage one, then stage two, then stage three, stage so four. It there's came no, on quick. There's no stage five. So it was it existed, but a physical didn't didn't catch it. So you really need to insist on having a CT scan. It is, in, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I've heard about pancreatic and what it makes it so difficult is there really aren't symptoms until it gets more advanced. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. As a matter of fact, uh, a week or so before all of this started, um, I was in, in the backyard in one corner of the yard. There was all this construction material that had been dumped there by a previous owner years ago. And it was such a beautiful little area that was marred by about 250 paver stones, 10 cinder blocks, 50 or 60 bathroom tiles, and about 15 huge flagstones. And I moved all those by hand from, from one end of the yard over behind the greenhouse, you know, where, you know, stack them all nice and neat and clean them all up. So, yeah, no symptoms whatsoever. None. Is there screening? Is there a proper screening for for pancreatic cancer? I don't believe that there is. What what I believe you can do is if you do a CT scan, uh, if there's any abnormalities, uh, especially in the pancreas, and if and if it has moved over to any of the other organs, it's going to show up. Um, I think probably doctors and hospitals are reluctant to order it because it's expensive. But, you know, if you can afford it or if you have the insurance, do it. It's worth doing it because if I could have caught it at stage one or maybe stage two, 
um, it wouldn't be as severe. Stage four is considered terminal. Mm. Because my my uh, my uh, family has a history of colon cancer, mm-hmm. so I get screened, I get colonoscopies, and I talk about it. I talked about it on TV. It's important to let people know. Like you said, we're all getting older. You got to get out there. You got to get screened. You got to get checked out. So I get my colonoscopies every two, three years. Doctor tells me to go. I go do it. Sure. My mom had leukemia. My mom was cutting the lawn, mm-hmm. pushing, you know, my mom's, you know, old school, you know, she's you know old Italian woman. She's, That's what you do. She's cutting the lawn. You know, I want to cut the lawn. And yeah. I was like, she got the call. She got leukemia. Yeah. And the doctor said, what are you doing right now? She said, well, I was outside cutting the lawn. He said, you're doing what? <laughs> so you're not supposed to be able to do it. But, you know, and then all of a sudden, you, you know, it, it hits you and obviously you've got to deal with it. So, so look, being honest, yeah. you're, you're dealing with the most severe thing you could be dealing with stage four at, at, a, at a cancer that is obviously extremely brutal. Yeah. You're getting chemo right now. You, you you have a great spirit about you that you're fighting this thing. What what are the doctors telling you? Is this working? Well, my oncologist um, at at a recent visit said that the that the tumor in the pancreas has shrunk some, so that was positive. Uh, there was no more fluid in my lungs, um, and that there are a lot of the problems with the liver um, they didn't see anymore, except that there's two areas there that they have some concern, which is why um, just this uh, week I did another CT scan. And I'm waiting for the results to come back uh, on that. Uh, my regular doctor called me up because she came in to see me after chemo one when I was still in the hospital. And I looked like death warmed over at that at that point because the first chemo was very brutal on my system. And, and she couldn't, you know, she couldn't believe it. Um, and she called me up last week because she follows all of my reports that come from from the different um uh, technicians and my oncologist, and she says that that the improvements that I've made are, are nothing short of a miracle. Um, and I attest that obviously to the treatment that I'm getting, um, but also my diet because thank God my wife Regina got me off years ago from being a complete and total Italian carnivore. Uh, to being a vegetarian. Well, that's interesting because you're saying Italian carnivore, and 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 you and I have talked about this before, and you've been nice enough to say I got to make you a nice pasta yeah. one of these days. And you know, I grew up, my mom's Italian, a very hardcore Italian family. I grew up in a Italian liquor deli store. Mm-hmm. My vice in life, as a predominantly Italian background, is carbs, is sure. pasta, and sure. bread. Sure. You're saying you were a big meat guy, huh? Yeah. Yeah, so the brush, all the meatball, the sausage, yeah. all that. Uh, also buco. I mean, you you know, all the way down the line. So my father was born in Sicily, and he loved to cook. Yeah. So it was authentic, and I learned from him. My mother was born in Spain, and she loved to cook. And everything is authentic, and I learned with uh, from her. At least four times a week, we had pasta at the house when I was a kid. But with the meatball. And with the, the meatballs those, and the sausage. Right, right. Yeah. So that's and, where the, yeah. the carnivore aspect comes in. Yeah. And then the other three days of the week would be something Spanish, which, you know, was more carbs, rice and the beans and the fish and this, that, and the other. But the thing for you was the meat. So mm-hmm. you, you knocked out, you became a vegetarian when? Um, I don't know how many years ago it was, but I, I can't even remember how long ago it was because it's been that long. Um, 
But you know, now I use the, a lot of the uh, Beyond Meat products. So I make very believable meatballs, uh, <laughs> very believable Italian sausage sandwiches. Yeah. But do you believe that the meat, the amount of meat, had some relation to getting sick? Well, I think I think if you're because you're saying you stopped a long time ago. Yeah, I think. Well, what I'm saying is is that I think it's helpful. Um, for my recovery, that that I'm not eating uh, meats and chicken or pork, you know, any fowl uh, that for the most part have all these different, you know, things added to the food that they're intaking. Uh, but if the doctors healthy. told you that, I mean, everybody makes a personal decision on how they want to handle their yeah. health. But have the doctors told you that? In other words, if you, it's a plus. Yes, it's a plus. It's definitely for what a plus. you're dealing with. Yeah. That's a positive. Yeah, it's definitely a plus. And I think the other thing is is having. You know, being able to assess your particular situation, uh, and and once I did that, um, you know, I'm very aware that, that, you know, cancer, there's no cure for it. So I know that cancer will be the death of me. The question is, when? And I think uh, having a very positive attitude is very helpful. Yeah, it's okay to have your down days, because I have them, you know, it's okay to be depressed about it, but it's not okay to stay there. It's more important to continue to live your life. Um not just for yourself, but for your family members and your friends. So they're not, you know, they're not sitting around getting depressed because you're depressed or, or going on Facebook and, uh, and having, you know, death watch 2019 or death watch 2020. Mm. So it's very important to be, uh, to be positive and realistic. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, um, I'm not a pessimistic or optimistic person. I'm a realist. I, I deal with, with facts as they're presented to me. Mm. Frankie Benelli is my guest, and uh, we want to talk about some stuff with music and the band as well. And I have people, you know, people on the line that want to talk to you and ask you questions about Quiet Riot and about Wasp and about this and about mm-hmm. that and so many things. We have probably about twenty minutes left to go, maybe fifteen in the show. So let's do this. Let's get our last break taken care of right now, and then when we come back, we'll be clear sailing until you know about. Uh, about 3.55 Eastern time, and we'll try to squeeze in a few calls. I know a lot of people wanted to say, want to say hello to you and wish you their best. But last thing for me about this before we go to the break and take the calls, when this news came out, mm-hmm. the first person I heard about it from was Mitch LaFon, mm-hmm. who does a podcast out of Canada, and he had posted something about it, and he told me about it a day before that because he knew we were friends and all sure. that. And uh, and then it started, like you said, the internet, boom, it it just goes. What about the outpouring from the music community? How, how has it been? I imagine, I, mean, I know I tried to reach out to you like everybody did. It was probably overwhelming, I would think, right? Yeah, in, in, a, very, in a very good and positive way. I mean, you know, my, my text messages, I mean, at one point my phone just shut down because yeah. it was just so many were coming in, private messages on Facebook, emails, um, every, everything, all the posts on Facebook. It's, it's amazingly, I didn't expect it. I mean, it's amazingly wonderful and it warms my heart um and the fans really lift me up to continue the fight uh so you know although it's happening to me as one person alone um there's a whole lot of people out there that uh that want to see a positive uh outcome and it means the world to me yeah you know and 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 it's interesting the way you've handled this and i think it's 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 a testament to to you that, that that you've handled this with such dignity and such class and you are putting it out there and you are fighting it and you're taking all that love that you're getting from people and using that 
but everybody does handle stuff like this in a different way. Uh, every single day, I get a, a call to this radio show asking about Eddie Van Halen. Right. And there are a million rumors out there every day about him potentially dealing with this. We just don't know. Nobody really knows. Sure. But they say nothing yeah. ever. I mean, it's in now it's in TMZ land. Now it's just to the point where people see a picture of Eddie Van Halen and it's news because yeah. he, he's physically there's a photo of him and they say nothing at all. So they've taken that route. Mm-hmm. You obviously, after dealing with it internally for a little bit, decided to take the route to go public. And that was something that you felt was the best way to handle it for you. Well, I mean, I think it was important for a couple of reasons. It was important because I received an awful lot of um, hate from from people that were going to Quiet Riot shows and, and not seeing me play. Uh and like all you said of, I got those calls here too. Yeah, you know? and, and, and they were they were pretty they were pretty mean spirited, you know. Uh and I get it, I understand it because they went to a Quiet Riot show and, and there's some guy playing drums that's not me. Well yeah, so, and let's be honest, you are the you you're the guy. I yeah. mean with all respect to the other members of the band, you're the guy with the history rooted in what everybody knows as the Classic Quiet Ride, the mental health era. I've been the constant since 1980. Yeah, the documentary, everything. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. I, I get it, and I never responded to it. I never lashed out or anything, um, because I knew that at some point I was going to have to go public. It was just a matter of when and how. Um, and, you know, hopefully people now, you know, and especially those that were so incredibly critical of my uh, absence, uh, I hope they now understand that, you know, I wasn't, Oh. Sitting around at home, you know, collecting the money and yeah. getting fat. Yeah. It was a complete opposite. I'm sure more people more than understand that now, for sure. Frankie Benali is here. Let's get a couple quick calls for Frankie before we have to wrap up. We could go hours here, and hopefully we'll do another round uh, when, when Frankie's schedule permits and I'm back out here. But let's say hello real quickly to, uh, let's say hello to Ricky in Maryland. Go ahead, Ricky. You're on with Frankie. Hey, Eddie, thanks for letting me uh, get in here. Uh, Frankie, brother, I love you, man, and all the best wishes to you, your wife, Regina, your daughter. Um, I've got a signed copy of your DVD here. I watch it, dude, all the time. I enjoy it just as much every time. Um, And I've seen you a whole bunch over the years with uh, all the good lineups, man. You know what I mean? And and just all the best wishes to you. And uh, I hope you beat the shit out of that crap, man. Well, thank you so much. Now, let me let me let you know that that personally, I really appreciate your support. It means a lot to me, and it gives me uh, additional strength to continue this fight. Thank you, Ricky, for the call. This is Joe in Louisiana. Hey, Joe. Hey, Eddie. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm gonna let Frankie know. I he's in my prayers every night, along with his family. I kind of know what he's going through. I'm a little dumbfounded because I'm actually talking to Frankie Benali, one of my favorite all-time guys in the band. <laughs> and I got through to you Monday night, and you give me grief about Def Leppard, if you remember that. I gave you grief about Def Leppard? Yeah, you you, you cut me up because <laughs> I waited 30 years to see him. Oh, I was busting Never your balls because you said you'd... Right. You said he, he said he yeah. waited thirty years to see Def Leppard. I said they've been around since nineteen eighty. How'd you wait thirty years? I, uh, Joe told Joe told me he was like fifty five. I go, where? How did you miss the boat thirty five years ago? Don't feel bad. I've only it's seen him once, and that was I've only seen him once, and that was nineteen eighty three at the Dortmund uh, Pop Rock Festival. Uh, it's the first and last time I saw them. They were really good. <laughs> Joe, thank you. I'm just moving quickly because we want to get as many people in as we have as uh, so we can because I have to end right on time, of course. This is Al, who's in Jersey. Hey, Al, go ahead. Hey, Eddie, thank you, man. 
Hey, Frankie, uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I've seen you many times over the years. Um, I just want to say that this world is not ready for you to leave it yet. If anybody can beat the odds, you can. You've uh, hurdled over many hurdles, and you got the strength, brother, man. All right, we need you uh, to stay around for a long time, all right? That's all I really wanted to say, man. I love you, bro. And, uh, you know, fight the good fight, my friend. Well, with your support, I intend to be around uh, as long as I possibly can and uh, continue to, uh, to entertain you with my loud drumming. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Al. We're holding you to that, Frankie. We're absolutely <laughs> holding you to that. Uh, this is Dell, who's in Pittsburgh. Hi, Dell. You're on with Frankie Benelli. Hi, what's up, guys? Hi. Um, so I got a question for you guys, and it was, what's your favorite uh, band that either open up for you or you open up for. Uh, it's good to see you're going strong. Um, yeah, first time caller. I'm fifteen year old, fifteen years old, big rockhead. Wow, well, new, the next, the next wave, the future yep. generation, Dell in Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. So, Del, Del, thank you, Dell, for the call. So, the question is, your favorite band you ever opened for, or that opened for you? Well, I got to be honest with you. We were fortunate enough. Quiet Ride was fortunate enough in 1983 um, to support uh, some of my favorite bands: Scorpions, um, uh, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, ZZ Top. Black Sabbath, it goes on and on. And, and I can tell you that across the board, um, all those bands treated us with, with a, a great level of respect and we never had any problems. And they were all great every single night. When we had, in 1984, we had Whitesnake open up for us. You know, that was like the dream version of Whitesnake with John Sykes on guitar and oh, especially yeah. uh, Cozy Powell on drums. And I got to become friends with Cozy. Uh, and that was a drum lesson every night. So... In that regard, I have no regrets or no issues with any of the bands that we supported or any of the bands that supported Quiet Riot. We've been very fortunate. This is uh, Raymond, who's in California. Hi, Raymond. Hey, how's it going? Uh, real quickly, um, I know you had done a lot of uh, drum work with Wasp. Why is it that you never actually uh, joined the band? Well, the whole thing with Was started in uh, in '89. Blackie was looking for a permanent drummer, and I was busy with Choir Ride. We were working, um, actually, this is '87, '88. We're working on the fourth Choir Ride album, and I said to Blackie, "I can't join the band, but if you want me to do the record, I will." And so I did the Headless Children record, which is my favorite of the I think eight I've played, eight or nine I've played uh, with Wasp. As it turned out, when I was in Tokyo. Um, in 89, um, I decided that I wanted to put Choir Ride on hold for a while because it simply wasn't working with that particular lineup. And Blackie, I don't know how he found out about it, but I got a call from him and he says, uh, uh, stay in Tokyo for another week, do press for the Headless Children, fly to London, and we'll start pre-production rehearsals the following week in London. And I did the world tour for Headless Children. But Blackie and I are really, really good friends. You know, we've, we've had, you know, like, like any brother, um, you know, we've had issues in the past that have all been put to rest long ago, uh, but he's great. I just was never a permanent um, uh, touring part of the band. So we got about 90 seconds before I have to end. Uh, anything that you want to say to the fans or on the air before we have to wrap up? Anything you want to mention? Yeah, please know that, you know, the volume of, of messages that I've received uh, across the board has been um, 
amazing for me. I have read them all. Um, I apologize for not being able to respond to each and every single one because there's just not enough hours in the day. Um, and I continue with my therapy both in and out of uh, hospitals and private clinics. Uh, so my main focus is to get myself um, healthy and to continue to uh, to play drums uh, with Quiet Riot Live. I speak for all the fans. We love you. We're praying for you. I've known you for a long time, man. We go way, way, way back. We really do. And uh, I, I say with all my heart, I love you. I really do. And, well, you're, and I, you're a true brother to me. Well, same here. And Thank I'm you. honored and thankful that you took the time out. I know with what you're going through to be here with me today and spend some time talking to me in the audience. And I got a lot of confidence in you, man. You're you're a fighter. And uh, I got I got sending nothing but the best vibes out to you, my brother. Well, I'm at your service anytime you need me for anything at all. Likewise, here too. Thank know you. that. Here too. I love Frankie you, Frankie Benelli, everybody. I love you, Frankie. Thank you, buddy. All right, brother. Well, a very moving interview, and I cannot thank Frankie enough for uh, dealing with what he's dealing with, still coming in and doing that interview with me. As you heard, he was literally getting chemo at the time of the interview, and... uh I mean, the guy's a trooper and a fighter, and you can do nothing but root for him and think of him and pray for him for a quick recovery from this. Uh, it is a bitch what he is dealing with. It is the absolute worst, but he seems to have a great spirit and a great attitude about it, and uh, anyone will tell you dealing with stuff like that, that is a big part of it as well. So we will be thinking of Frankie. We'll keep you posted. We'll keep uh, pulling for him. and hopefully get good news on his prognosis in the near future. My thanks to Frankie Benali, also his wife, Regina, for bringing him in. It was a great conversation we had there at the Sirius XM studio in Los Angeles. And if you missed, uh, if well, you, you just heard it, but if you want to see video of it, it is available. We shot the whole thing, and there is video on the Sirius XM app. So be sure to check that out. We're putting a lot of video content up there of a lot of these interviews being shot as well on the app. Remember, if you are not a SiriusXM subscriber in the, and you're in the U.S. and Canada, we're in a free listening period right now. So the inactive radios are on, and you can also listen if you don't have a radio on the app. Trunk Nation, my show is on every day, 2 to 4 Eastern live, replaying every night, 10 to midnight. And all the stuff is on the app as well. So be sure to have a listen in the free trial period, a chance to check out some of the music and some of the uh, the uh, the shows, my show being a talk show. But you can check out all sorts of stuff during this free listening period. So have a listen and enjoy and hopefully come on board with us if you are not already a subscriber. That's where the interviews you hear on the podcast every week originated from. You only get a small sample here on the podcast of what I do on a daily basis. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Eddie Trunk. Instagram as well at Eddie Trunk. EddieTrunk.com is the official online home. There is a fan page on Facebook as well. And if you are in Erlanger, Kentucky, just outside of Cincinnati, December 14th, I'm at Peacock's. December 20th, I'm at Dingbats with Don and Jim for the annual That Metal Show Christmas Party, Clifton, New Jersey. And don't forget, just announced December 12th, I'm back at the Rainbow in L.A. for the Trunk Nation Christmas Party. Live from the patio at the Rainbow, 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific time. 
live on volume, Sirius XM 106. Free to get in if you're in Southern California. Come join us for some holiday shenanigans. Should be a blast. You guys have a great, great holiday weekend in the U.S., and I'll be back next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, free, as always, Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.